I feel like we need a jingle. Do, 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 do. I nearly went into the Silla Black thing again then. You are obsessed. Hi, my name's Emily Chadbourne. And I'm Rochelle Fisher. And we're a couple of Xennials turning 40. Xennials are an often forgotten generation, sandwiched between the Gen X and the Millennials. Not quite one, but not quite the other either. We were brought up on Disney princesses, roller skates and Game Boys. Left to flounder through the grunge era of the 1990s and expected to catch up with tech life in the noughties, how prepared was the Xennial woman for the delights and disappointments of the current day? To celebrate our birthdays, Em and I decided to launch our own mini-series dedicated solely to issues that so many Xennial women face today. From egg freezing to ageing to being single, we have interviewed some amazing Xennials with stories to share. Enjoy this episode! So today I have a question for you. What do you know about the andropause? Sounds like some weird computer game for men. Yeah, when I first heard of it, I was like, it sounds like something that Doctor Who has to have a battle against. You know, like the andropause. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Now, because because I did look up what andropause was, now I've got this really weird vision of this little penis now going ding, ding, ding. Like a Dalek. Yeah, but a penis. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now that's what I'm seeing as well. Why have you done that to me? Penis battleships. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? There will never, ever, ever be anything more funny than a giant inflatable penis. They just won't. And I really wish I wasn't that person. I really wish I was someone different. But if you put a giant penis in front of me in inflatable form, I am on the floor. <laughs> what are those things in the sky? Blimp, blimp, blimps, blimps. <laughs> That's what I'm doing for your 40th birthday. Penis, penis. <laughs> happiest girl oh anyway back to the andropause anyone out there that um <laughs> owns a blimp company <laughs> <laughs> okay you ready ready great andropause <clears throat> so the andropause is the male version of menopause and i <laughs> It's not funny. You're thinking about the penis blimp, aren't you? I'll tell you the other thing that I was thinking, just to really get you going. You know, like those, you see them outside of car lots, where they like the man and it's like the blowy thing and it blows around in the wind, but it's got the blowy thing. (laughs) Anyway, back to andropause. So andropause is a male version. It's, It's not funny. It's very serious. It's the male version of the... Female menopause. Yeah. Now, obviously, there is a lot spoken about the female menopause, increasingly so over the last few years, thankfully, and the perimenopause. But I'd never even heard the word andropause before. No. And I had no idea 
that the testosterone levels in men decrease the older they get. And the symptoms that this can cause mirror the symptoms of depression, which is why it's so easily misdiagnosed. So when my PR agent was talking to me about potential guests for this show, she suggested that we speak to one of her clients called Roberta Bertie. And Bertie runs a company with her second husband promoting men's hormonal health. And she very kindly agreed to do an interview with me because although this podcast is predominantly for women and for zenial women, the effects of the andropause and the reduced testosterone levels tends to hit men in their early 40s and then into their 50s and 60s, obviously, and 70s and beyond. But the signs and the symptoms, if you like, will begin to start probably from 40-ish onwards. Wow. And it's so often the women who pick up on it, which is what I think was really interesting for me from this interview, which we're going to listen to in a minute, because the lack of... I don't know if awareness is the right word, or whether or not it's social conditioning, but, you know, men tend not to speak about their feelings quite so much. They tend not to go to the doctor as much. They tend not to speak about their fluctuating moods in the same way that women do, because we've been used to our fluctuating moods and our monthly cycles since we were, you know, 15-ish. So I think there is definitely a stigma to speaking about hormones when it comes to men and as a result lots of men go either undiagnosed or misdiagnosed and so often it is the women who are picking up on the signs as opposed to the men not because they're not noticing the signs but because they're reluctant to to talk about them yeah that's hard isn't it so definitely worth a conversation having on this podcast I think yeah (laughs) I think the person who is best qualified to explain this is Bertie herself so we'll hand over to her So, Bertie, thank you so much for joining me today, very early in the morning here in Melbourne. So if you hear some slurping in the background, that's me drinking coffee. Um, Bertie, it is the early evening for you there in the UK. Really appreciate the time that you have carved out of your evening to speak to me today. So let's kick off with your transition from PR into Mm. men's health. That's not a normal transition that you hear of. No, and um, it's it kind of happened over a long period of time. Um, I found myself like most people do in a career, um, you know, from 25 years ago where someone said PR was a good idea. And so I thought that sounds fun. Didn't even know what it was. Landed a job as you do. And then, you know, stuck with it. And and PR has been absolutely amazing. I work with or primarily worked in film and TV So I ran the MTV press office for seven years, used to travel the world, um, go on the red carpets with, you know, celebrities, really had the the most amazing time. But actually, it was when I was living in Australia, when I was living in Sydney, Um, I was about 30. Yeah, about 30. My then husband, he's he's my ex-husband now, it's a whole other story, Um, but he... um, About 18 months into us living in Australia, um, he discovered a lump in his testicle. Um, He was 29. um, And literally within kind of 24 hours of seeing someone um, in in Australia was diagnosed with testicular cancer. 
um, we just got married. Um, we had a whirlwind romance, um, married within kind of six months, ran off to um, Fiji and then came over to Australia where we'd got friends. Um, and that is just not what you have on your plan. No. You're just married. You're just, you know, have, you're living the time of your life in Australia, whereas I, I was still working in PR for Foxtel over there. He'd got a job in banking. Um, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves in um, a situation where we're, we're banking sperm. You know, we're told um, that it was an aggressive tumour. It was likely to come back within the next year. Um, and your world literally, you know, at, at 30 is, is completely turned on its head. And that's where I, I, I turned to naturopathy. And interestingly enough, Australia is the home of, of natural medicine um, and started kind of looking into what I could do from a health perspective for him, got into juicing, and it kind of just sparked a real, real passion for me. Um, so we supported all of his chemo, et cetera, with, with juicing and completely um, looked at everything kind of holistically. Um, came back home to England because it was life was getting too tough to cope with cancer on your own that far away. Um, carried on kind of doing the PR thing, but but it, it just ignited something in me. And then alongside my my job, I then went back to college for three years, College of Natural Medicine, studied um, natural nutrition. And then, um, you know, the years later, kind of started to move out of PR slowly into kind of nutrition and fitness, but doing PR in that. And then a kind of perfect storm came and uh, I worked on a brand that, that allowed me to do both. Um, and then I just found myself um, seeing more and more men with problems um, and then realizing that there was a real issue with, with, with men's health that nobody, um, men's personal health or mono health, that nobody was talking about. And, and that's kind of led us to where we are today. Wow. I love stories like that. When someone takes some kind of real tragedy, real curveball from the universe, and it just takes them along this completely different trajectory, but actually everything that they have accumulated mm. in their past is fuel for where they're going in their future. Did your ex-husband make a full recovery? Made, yeah. He, were, he it, unbelievably, the... The cancer did exactly what the urologist in, in Australia said it would do. He had an orchidectomy, first of all, which one, which was one of them removed. Then um, when we got back to the year, uh, UK, like a year later, it reappeared as a tumour in his chest, um, mm. had chemo. But between, between that, I fell pregnant. And because um, the, the doctors said one will do the job of two. But if you're thinking <laughs> about it, crack on and we we were married and and unbelievably I I I came I didn't even have a period between coming off the pill and getting pregnant I just got wow. pregnant and it was amazing it was like it was meant to be and then when I was five months pregnant he was back having having chemo again um but then after that it that was well my eldest daughter's 15 this year so it's 15 years ago he's been fine ever since amazing wow yeah and then yeah. do you mind me asking a personal question before we go sure. On what happened to the marriage? You referred to him as your ex-husband. So yes, the pressure, you know strain what? and tension of it. You know what? And this kind of comes, I was actually um, reading one of, uh, kind of one of the briefing notes and, a, and a, something you tell yourself in, in later life, trust your instincts. Um, and 
he was, you know, we married very, uh, very quickly, whirlwind. I always knew he'd kind of, he was a bit feisty, he was half Turkish. Um, and, you know, uh, what what kind of ended up over the years, we would, I mean, we were married 12 years. I gave it a really good go, got two daughters. Um, but you know what, he, he was a different person from whom I thought he would be. And then you think you can change somebody and all you do is end up changing yourself. And then I, I coming up to my 40th birthday, I was just like, no, nah, I'm not, I, I'm going to wake up one day. Both my children are going to left and I'm still going to be with him. <laughs> and that was that. And it was, I'm not going to lie, best thing I ever, ever did. Bar having my children, I wouldn't change a thing. I've got no regrets, but I, I'm, I'm glad I didn't let life pass me by and just accept that that was my situation um, and that I was go- well, was going to put up with it. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And that was seven, seven years ago now. Wow. Oh, that you and I back. speak exactly the same language. If you don't like something, change it. Completely. Yeah. And, and, and particularly when you've got children, I think we come from a generation where you're taught to do things for the children. And mm-hmm. I actually think it's crueler to stay in a relationship where you're unhappy, where everybody knows you're unhappy. It's, mm. it's not it's not fair on them. Well, um, and you're also yeah. demonstrating to them, aren't you? This is what a relationship is. You know, we learned that from our parents. You just put up with it. You know, you're sacrificial as a mother. And so we have become sacrificial as adult women. And actually we get, because, you know, this is the power of the woman these days. We get mm. to break that cycle. We get to break that chain. We don't have to continue handing down that kind of generational, I'm going to use the word trauma. It, you know, it's like the ugly heirloom that your great, great nan has just been passing down and passing down and passing down. You're like, oh God, do I have to be stuck with being a sacrificial woman? <laughs> you know, and you don't, you can and, change it. And and I felt it was really important for me as a woman to my my eldest daughter at that point, I don't know, was kind of maybe six, six, six or seven. I'd got a toddler as well. But um I, I knew she was beginning to pick up on on certain things that were going on. And I really, I just thought I do not want her to grow up thinking this is what men do and this is a relationship and, and w- women just take it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I and to me, it, it's it was the kind of most empowering, best decision I ever made. That being on my own was better than being in that situation. Yeah. Um, and she's, you know, she said it to me since. You know, I, I'm I, I'm I'm really glad that you you did that. And she was aware of way more than I than I thought she was. Um, and you know, like you say, it's kind of it 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 broke broke a cycle. And and for me, I did what was right for me and and two daughters at that point. Yeah, I think it was um, Glennon Doyle. Um, I was reading her book Untamed a few months ago, and there's this passage in there when she was drying her hair, and her daughter was sitting on the bed and said, "Mummy, I want you to style my hair the way you're styling your hair." And she said, "It was in that moment that I realised that I am teaching my daughter not just how to style her hair, but how to live her life. And if I am living in a marriage that I would not want her to be living in." then I need to leave the marriage. And that really struck me. Yeah, yeah. it was such it was, a brave it was, decision. Yeah, for me, it was it was this pivotal moment. I was away with work. Um, and he always used to have the hump when I used to, to go away. Um, and it was my 10th, coming up to my 10th wedding anniversary. And I was always away. Unfortunately, it was an events thing I had to go to every single year. I always fell over that. And my one of my girlfriends was with me and I woke up uh, on my 10th wedding anniversary and he wasn't speaking to me. And I literally just thought, if 
I, I am here in another 10 years. Like it was just this literally light bulb moment that I'm not going to do another year of this. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm allowing this situation to go on and on and on. And the only one that's ever going to change it is me. Um, and, you know, it's never easy. And, and I, you know, it, being there is sometimes the easier option than, than, than going. But, you know, once you've made that decision, I don't think you can look back. Unfortunately, I, I haven't. And it, and it really was the, the best thing. And I'm remarried now. So it all worked out. <laughs> Yay. Awesome. Yay. Amazing. So the gentleman that you remarried, Sheldon, mm. if that's his mm. name, y- yeah. you and he co-founded a company called DNA. That's so right. tell us about DNA. So DNA, um, Dynamic Nutrition Academy, is is just founded out of pure passion. Um, around the same time, I started to see more men in my clinic coming in with the same symptoms, which were kind of fatigue, no motivation, um, couldn't shift weight that they'd previously been able to or not get the gains in the gym, loss of libido, and that wasn't relationship orientated they just had started to go off sex just couldn't be bothered anymore and there was this you know theme of what's happening to me I just don't feel like myself um and then one of them told me he had been diagnosed with low testosterone and he said to me I don't want to go on TRT testosterone replacement therapy what can you do so for me naturally uh, and so I just said okay you know what I don't know enough about this I'm going to go away I'm going to look into it and at the same time, Sheldon, who we'd only just got married and he was going back. So he's younger than me, three years younger than me. So he must have been 39, 40. Um, now he's a South African alpha man, six foot four, fitness instructor, 120 kilos of pure South African beef, um, <laughs> you know, but kind of big, big. And, and he was he was really struggling with his mood. He was really irritable. He he kind of his libido had gone. And as, a, as an engaged woman, I was just like, excuse me, you know, hitting 40 myself, you know, in a really good place. He went to the doctors, was diagnosed with depression. He thought, I'm, that's rubbish. I'm not I'm not depressed. Looked into it a lot more, went back, forced them to test his testosterone levels, was diagnosed with low T. So this was a perfect storm. He was experiencing this. I've got these guys in my clinic. He was he he kind of was living, breathing it. I've got the you know the 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 um, nutrition experience. Let, let's have a look at what's going on here. So we did so much research. Um, we looked at kind of what was going on out there in terms of support, and was just completely shocked. Um, there is just such poor lack lack of awareness about any any testosterone issues. Testosterone needs a rebrand, in my opinion, a complete 2021 rebrand. The word is dirty. The word is associated with old-fashioned, macho aggression. Testosterone makes men men in the first place. They, that's it. In the same way, you know, from in, when you're in the womb, estrogen produces girls, testosterone babies, male babies. So every single man on the planet has testosterone. So why and how we've got to a point where men can't acknowledge the the very thing that makes them male and be ashamed of it is it just blow it blows my mind. So you know we we started looking at the products out there. 
that they're really poor in my opinion they're entrenched in sports nutrition so basically assuming the only guy that cares about his uh, cares about his testosterone is a, a dude down the gym yeah and like that's ridiculous so you're alienating 98 percent mm. of the population yeah and because the stigma found... then is that you're taking testosterone because you want to beef up yeah i've never really thought about what testosterone as a word brings up in my own mind but actually yeah, right there's are, a real stereotype attached to it builders steroids yeah as in aggression mm. and masculinity and therefore it's assuming that any less of that is not manly and mm. what we actually found was that as exactly the same as with women and it was also something that as a female I could 100% relate to because uh, I've been perimenopausal three or four years now and I understand that estrogen naturally declines with age and lo and behold, testosterone naturally declines with age. But even from an earlier age than women, testosterone peaks at 19. I mean, that blows most people's mind. No, that's crazy. 19. So, you know, that kind of young, kind of life food. (laughs) Exactly. That whole sex kind of um, confident times of your life. You can stay up late. You've got all the energy. That is testosterone. And that is why your 20s, most men feel great in their 20s. But the sad thing is, after that, or even more worrying now from younger ages than that, testosterone starts naturally declining from the age of 30 up to or between 1% to 2% a year. Wow. Now, yeah. So That's quite high. It is. And it doesn't stop declining. So we have a pivotal moment where we stop menstruating. And the average age between perimenopause and final menopause is eight to 12 years. With men, it's, it's finite. There is, there is no necessary end. There's no moment where a guy's testosterone just stops Even producing or turns off. Exactly. So when you start looking at the similarities and absolutely understanding that every single man is going to suffer from a natural decline. Now, look, it may you may sail through it in the some in the same way some women sail through menopause, but we all know a lot of people, particularly with lifestyle factors coming into play, will have all kinds of problems. And this is exactly what is happening to our men around the world. One in four, they believe, has low testosterone or testosterone deficiency. I would perhaps argue, knowing what I do know about it now, that it's more than that. There's a really interesting book out last week by an author, uh, a Dr. Swan, and it's about reproduction health in men. So sperm levels are absolutely at crisis. So they've seen a 50% decline in 50 years. But what she also reported, which I also knew, was that that goes hand in hand. Testosterone levels are half what they used to be 50 years ago. Wow. So what, what are the factors that are influencing that? So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, so I just wrote a blog, Why You're Half the, the, the Man Your Father Was, and, I'm, and sadly, it's actually true. It's lifestyle factors. Obesity is a massive, massive problem, particularly for testosterone. 
when you start your body starts storing fat male bodies start producing more estrogen right so because we produce testosterone as women obviously a much smaller degrees that we got progesterone and estrogen and testosterone men also have estrogen obviously a much smaller degrees but the um, fat cells release estrogen now estrogen robs testosterone and all of a sudden you're all over the place yeah and so that's that why balance. you get yeah, and that's why you get the weight gain. And that's why some gentlemen start getting almost breasts mm. because it's, it's the estrogen dominance. But the sperm issue seems to be heavily driven by toxins and pesticides and xenestrogens. What's going on in our food and our environments? Absolutely. Wow. It's an enormous problem. I mean, she, Dr. Swan, you know, says it's it's an existential crisis because if we know that now, what does that mean for our next gen of men and women in 50 years where we're already, you know, with highest rates of infertility ever. And a lot of that is now, you know, male related. I think it's kind of one in two couples are, are struggling. It's all really serious. And I, I really struggle to understand why, you know, it's only because of the reproductive side of things that men perhaps know about it because they're forced to, they're forced to, with the realization that's what's going on if they're trying to get pregnant mm. but you know what about the men just kind of cruising by thinking that they're either just getting old or you know misdiagnosed with depression or are just kind of I was suffering. just thinking that I was thinking how many men have gone to the doctor and been like hey something's really off which uh, sweeping generalizations I know I'm speaking in stereotypes is harder for men to do than women women seem to have an easier time talking about their emotions than men do sweeping generalizations I get it but to go into a doctor's surgery and say hey something's off and then just to be diagnosed with depression when like your husband knew mm. it wasn't that so then you begin to feel like I don't even deserve the title of depressed like what is really mm. going on do you think it's just a complete lack of conversation around this particular topic that means that men are being misdiagnosed like did GPs just not look out for it is it such a new phenomenon that's just flying under the radar I think it's at all of that yeah I think if you think that it's only in the past five years that we're allowed to talk about menopause yes it really is isn't it? it it's so recent mm. you know it, it really is uh, and I know that from being perimenopausal and and kind of and, and I have a good understanding because I'm a practitioner. Women didn't talk about menopause or perimenopause. No, my mum didn't talk about menopause. She was just really angry. There were whispers of HRT in the background, uh, which she was on for years because she actually went through the menopause really early. But, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't talked about. Her moods were never explained. And I was going through puberty at the time, my poor father. So, you know, it was... It was just the perfect storm in our house. Hormones flying everywhere. It was something to be to try and be repressed, as opposed mm. to, hey, it's okay that you're feeling like this. This is a normal, natural part of the next evolution of your human experience. It was never spoken about. In that, that sort of, it was it was demonized. Female, yeah, every single female is going is going to go through. So if you think we've only just reached a point where we can talk about that and we can get help and there's lots of products, there's lots of options. I would say men's hormonal health, at least a decade behind behind women's. GPs, 
the jury's out as to whether andropause even exists, which is the the, the male version of of the menopause. Now, when I when I look at it in terms of age-related decline of hormones, yes, every single man is going to go through andropause. Doesn't mean they're going to have symptoms of it, but you know you can't stop the the, the age-related decline of hormones. It's it's life. You can change the way you go through it. You can change the you manage the symptoms, and you can certainly enhance your health and your wellness and your ability to combat decline. But yes, you know, every every single man is going to be impacted by it. But the doctors just unless they're functional in interfunctional medicine or they're younger, they 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 just dismiss it. And also, there's a difference in the testing that goes on, um, in that your doctor could, if they test you, and of course the symptoms are so vague, that sometimes the same with perimenopause, that I think the first time I went, I went to see a doctor about perimenopause, they offered me antidepressants and they knew it was perimenopause. Wow. And then I said, well, yeah, for my mood. And my mood was only off at certain points of the month. Mm. wasn't, and it was off, not in a sad way, in a, annoyed way yeah but yeah. still I was just take these and I was like well not also no. we don't like angry women no really? not, don't like angry women and yeah. we're also not going to explore why that is or how we can counter that in any way or or look at other you know lifestyle or nutrition factors in that or but even give you permission these. just to be in that experience completely yeah so, and that's that's what I was experiencing from my doctor. Um, that they're, you know, the men the men are really really unlucky if they have got the courage to go to the doctors. And I know also from from lots of studies, this is also why men's health globally is in a crisis. They are sixty percent less likely to go to the doctors than women, and they will go when they have reached crisis point. Mm. Um, and if they do go and either get dismissed or misdiagnosed then you know how how are we it makes the problem up? worse completely yeah yeah completely stigma and, and only makes it worse com- completely um so it's it i i think it's it's an unbelievable problem and because of men not being aware of the symptoms or acknowledging them or ad- admitting them um and you know which fundamentally dna is born you know not the the, the products are almost secondary that we've developed products to support men through each you know from from young to to kind of supporting optimum levels to andropause to older where people forget about kind of people and write them off you know we've got products for every stage but for us it's this is a problem for you know there's at least 8 million men in the uk this is a problem for alone if we don't raise awareness about it and we don't provide a safe space to talk about it, we've got something called the Man Cave, which my husband runs, close Facebook group. He's on Clubhouse tonight, actually talking about andropause and, and kind of men's health. And we that we have to kind of allow people to talk about it or at least find somewhere they can go if they want to do that. They've got the information. Power is information, isn't it? Mm. And that's yeah. what I really feel is missing at the moment. I mean, I'd never heard of the word andropause before 
coming into contact with you. Like I, that was a new word in my vocabulary. And I had never once paused to think about the fact that the sort of grumpy old man syndrome, there's a reason behind it. It, it just, it never occurred to me. I just thought that hormonal changes and the evolution of your hormonal body was just something that women went through. And it, it's been such an eye opener. Honestly, I feel like I've been introduced to this whole other world since researching what you do. And, and it's, it's amazing and so, so needed. Do you think that there is a correlation between male suicide, especially here in Australia? It's the number one leading cause of death for men in here in Australia group. in a certain age group yeah do you think this is a contributing factor obviously not the only one there are so many environmental and mental health factors that are going on with that but you know this feeling of sort of being really misunderstood I think without a doubt this kind of still we have changed a lot culturally we, we really have we we you know mental health awareness particularly in the UK for, for men has come a really long way and people like Movember there's some amazing mm. initiatives that have have kind of really brought this out and then the more um, famous people kind of talking about things um, and that kind of accepting that that it's okay to talk about it has undoubtedly helped we have a lot of problems with ex-military here in the UK you know, that just are not being the support out there. You know, if you're brought up in quite a masculine household, I do think that toxic masculine culture it, it is really dangerous. And if you aren't somewhere or in, a, in an environment or you've got any men around you that you're, you're, you can lean to or lean in or, or, you know, seek female kind of help from, then, yeah, I, I, you know, I think there's so many things in, in play hormones dictate your mood we mm. as women know this better than anyone so why are we so shocked that men's mood can be impacted by testosterone and mm. that and hormonal imbalance you know we, we've accepted for years how important hormonal health is in women so why we've got this shock about oh hang on a second you know the, 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 the same predominant um hormone in men, testosterone, same as estrogen's women, is 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 impacting our men. Mm. And, you know, it does play a part in mood. Um, and I just, again, I think it's all about support, networks, and men feeling empowered and able in any situation to talk about whatever it is they're going through. And sadly, I think we're still very, very behind on it. Other than exposure and, and really bringing this very important subject matter into the limelight, as it were, in what ways does DNA support men? Is it through nutrition? Is it supplements? Yeah, What's the best way to, for a man to support himself through this time? You know, like I said, we spent two years in, in development for, for our products. You know, we, first of all, the, the sports nutrition side of it is very, very unhelpful. Um, so we, we kind of look at all men, all stages of their life, because we know testosterone peaks at 19. When you've got all the facts about what's going on out there and what's driving the issues we just kind of put or put together something that made sense to us that was really providing solutions. You can't, like I say, not, you can't replace testosterone unless you go to the doctors and you get testosterone replacement therapy. But, and that's got so many problems with it as well, including it makes men infertile. 
which is mind-blowing wow. yeah. yeah and that some makes of them sense rever- to me, but yeah that's crazy some of them irreversibly so <sighs> if you're a young guy that's not an option for you is it no but for us it's like wow where where have these guys got to go so first of all we looked at the whole journey so we're understanding testosterone peaks at 19 and 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 you know declines through for over probably a 50 year period what can we do for these younger guys now they're they're not going to be feeling it necessarily yet they you know if they're in their 20s they're probably still can burn the candle at both ends feeling good but they could be possibly baby making or you know into the 30s kind of starting to feel the the first signs of of, of testosterone decline so we we created products for 25 to 40 year olds 40 plus where decline really starts kicking in you can get those andropause symptoms um can be a really hard time for men so we, we looked at that period of time and then we looked at kind of 55 plus and if you look at kind of biochemical stages of hormonal decline we understand as women I'm not going to give my teenage daughter the same nutrients that I'm taking in in my 40s. So we looked at what is needed fundamentally from a science perspective. And that's also what makes us really different out there. We are not going to hear us making stupid claims, improve your erections by 10% doing this. And, you know, in six weeks, you're going to have a six pack. That's all bollocks. Yeah. It's absolute bollocks. Yeah. And, And it's really unhelpful. Mm. Well, and it's so ostracizing to such a huge portion of men. There's lots of men out there who've never had a six pack, believe me. No. And it's also perpetuating that myth still, that testosterone myth, because you wouldn't say to a woman with estrogen, get bigger boobs by taking this product. It's just absolute rubbish. So we've literally have gone to the science and from a nutrition perspective, looked at what the body needs and and when they need it. Um, so the, one of the core things is nutrient deficiencies are causing globally, men and women, real problems. It's quite scary in this day and age, some old fashioned Victorian um, issues like rickets um, are coming back, which is um, a vitamin D deficiency and bone deficiency. You're seeing more of that in children again because their diets are so vitamin D deficient you know that's petrifying isn't it yeah we're regressing and you live you live in australia we've all become slip slap slop that's that's one of my favorite takeaways from australia um you know it's brilliant that we we look after our our skin and and protect our skin but you need sunlight on your pores to make vitamin d and we now cover up and in the UK, because of well, we the- cover up and we stay inside. We play the Xbox. I was just driving through the suburb that I live in the other day on my way home, and it was around four o'clock. And I and you know we don't have any lockdown here at all at the moment. And I was thinking, where are the kids? Like at four o'clock on a weekday, school's out, right? In the eighties, there were children everywhere. We were on roller boots. We were playing yeah, tic-tac-toe. We were playing hit the deck in the fields. We were running out around the streets causing minor chaos. And I was like, where are all the children? It was like that scene in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang where they kind of like drive into that old town and like there are no kids around. Like, where is the child catcher? And it occurred to me that they're all just inside playing 
on yeah. video games so I, or it's just such a yeah. different world you know we yes sunscreen and and sun safety is is great that we we've, we've kind of like up the ante on that but staying indoors isn't healthy for us either is it it's the way we farm our food i mean if whatever you buy now the fact that they have to say with vitamin blah 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 it's because it's been stripped out and they've had to put it back in so Blimey. It, vitamin deficiencies are, are, are absolutely enormous and so the first thing we, we we've done as a brand is unless you rectify those basic nutrition deficiencies anything you you add in for your hormones just cannot do its job because your your body wants to stay in homeostasis it's trying every single day if you get a fever it wants to bring your temperature down if you're you know making too much something it relies on something to 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 compensate for it if we do not have basic nutrition and we're not got, you know, the basic vitamins and minerals that we need for general health, mm. then th- there's no point in, in taking anything else yes. on top of that. So, so our core blend across all of our three products has 12 vitamins and minerals that most men are deficient in. And that's fundamentally what sets us apart from every other brand out there. We, we have a holistic approach to men's hormonal health and that is you 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 put the building blocks there and then you you can you can add in and and your body will respond better to what else you're putting in there to optimize hormones so um each of those each of those brands we've got there was a we've we've tried to kind of break down the barriers we we have three animals and we call them our manimals so it's which animal are you? Yeah, our young guys are our white wolves. Our forty pluses are our silverbacks, and then we have our grey foxes, who are fifty-five plus. We have our core base, and then we add in extra hormonal health nutrients that are right for that age group, that, mm. that give them what they need for for that age. Because obviously, a guy in six, at age sixty needs something different from a guy who's twenty-five. Yeah. So you know. Building on those core nutrient deficiencies, to me, it it makes the difference between a product working and, and not working. And, and that core base alone of our products has 100 legal authorized health claims within just those that core base. Wow. So we follow the science. We, mm. we follow what does the research tell us? What does the science tell us? And, you know, we've taken two years. We formulated it's the first world's first hormonal health powder everything else is in capsules i know as a nutritionist you're struggling to with gut absorption everyone's guts are digestive problems is massive so we we've we've gone for a powder so the ingredients remain bioactive so when you pour into into 150 mils of liquid it's immediately ready available body understands it um, it, it's ready to be used. And also it would be the equivalent of 20 to 25 separate pills to take one of our shots daily. Wow. So we just basically ripped apart everything that we saw with every single brand out there that claims to be in hormonal health for men. Mm. And we just said we can do we can do better than that. Yeah, that's amazing. Is it not one pill fits mm. all, but like across culture, across race? Is it the tent? Is there any differences that you are seeing? That's a really interesting question. And what's I found kind of mind blowing is that, and you'll probably see this now, you've kind of been opened up to 
the hormonal health side of it, you, you'll start kind of seeing things and picking things up. But their low T has been heavily influenced in explaining why more men are dying of COVID than women. So um, they're wow. saying, yeah, Google it. And then all of a sudden you're so low, up, if you have a, as a man, if you, you have low in, levels of yeah. testosterone. Yeah. If you start COVID with low T, and if you look at the older, of course, the males are, mm. if you, if you're going in with low T, they're saying that your immune system is really struggling. And there's more and more research. There was another, there's another paper out this week that, that was supporting that and saying that they should test the levels of every man as soon as they get COVID. And also, unfortunately, what it is doing for, for, for men that have had COVID, it's wiping out what T levels they had left and fertility. So not only are we in a complete world kind of crisis about the, the acceleration of the decline in men's hormonal health, COVID has now put another layer on the cake. And if we don't kind of wake up and smell the coffee now, or if testosterone doesn't start to become a mainstream news topic off the back of this, I don't know what will, mm. but it's also, there are, there are testosterone differences in communities. Mm. Asian men, for example, are known to have lower T levels than, than other men. But you know what? There's just not enough money that is pumped into researching this. Yes. It's just, it just doesn't seem to be, be a priority, yeah. um, unfortunately. And I was putting something together for a retailer the other day. We're trying to get retail support. And I found 90, this is a mainstream pharmacist in the UK, there's 90 menopause products for women, um, natural ones, not one male product. And I just thought, well, there's my case in point. Why? Why? Are we saying mm. that women's health, hormonal health is more important than men's? It, it, it's just there is no, there's no gender equality here. And for years, you know, it's we as women have fought for so much for ourselves that I, I just I feel I feel a bit sad actually for for the the, the state of men's health mm. um, and that more isn't being done about it when it's this serious. It's it certainly opened up a whole new world for me. I you know had never even considered it, and it's interesting because you begin to think, don't you, about the key players or the key male players in your own life, and you think, oh, I wonder if that. Oh, yeah, there's definitely been a bit of a change with that person. Oh, yeah, and like you, it does. It opens up your eyes. And it's so funny because I think as women, because the conversation is so much in, in, the, in the forefront, especially as we are moving into, well, I certainly, my generation moving into the perimenopause, you know, it's something that I consider all the time. And I, I definitely talk to my girlfriends about. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the lookout for the signs and I'm sort of prepared for it, but didn't even consider that it was a thing for men. Never really, well, women, never been in this conversation before today. Women are going to be absolutely fundamental to awareness about this mm. for men, because whenever we do talk to, to women about it, they'll be like, that's my husband. Yeah. Or that, you know, okay. Yeah, that was my ex-husband. <laughs> yeah. And, and I've written, you know, articles, how to spot low T in, in your partner, what you can do. My husband wrote a really good blog the other day. It's, it's definitely not you, darling. It is me. You know, how? And, and it's really interesting because, of course, I'm also the wife of someone who's, who's got low T as well as being a nutritionist. And, and I kind of think if you're in a household where the two sets of this is going on, yeah. you're dealing with your own hormonal issues and that they've got this going on. If you don't kind of align yourself 
in some way or have some conversation about it. I can genuinely see how relationships can break down. Mm. If you've got two people who are dealing with either loss of libido or mood. Or a rise in irritation. That's what I mean. A yeah. Um, lack of energy, lack of motivation. You know, it only takes one of you to have a good day and the other one to have a bad day. Yeah. And it, I can very easily see now that a why there, there, there is a lot of relationship issues. And I'm sure I'm not, you know, again, I'm generalizing here. There's a lot. Children leave home. There's all kinds of things going on. Yes. Maybe try and have some empathy or walk a day in their shoes mm. and realize they're not even able to, to open up or talk about it. Yeah. Well, and the other thing as well, of course, is that, you know, my period started when I was 14. And from day one, Thanks. I have had severe fluctuating moods and get very annoyed around my around my cycle and so you know I'm I'm in a weird way used to those sort of fluctuations in my mood and that feeling of like I actually don't know who I am today like it, it's beyond me this experience of this emotion like I can't even control the irritation sometimes and mm-hmm. so at least I am kind of used to that feeling mm. so it must be quite alarming when as a 45 for example year old man all of a sudden you feel like you've got no control over your own emotional state and you're not sure why and there's no reason for it and it's not being spoken about so you believe it's just you so then you sit in the shame of it which just adds to the compounded feeling of I'm out of control of myself right now particularly if you've got someone pointing it out to you yeah, well. yeah. why are you in such a mood yeah and 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 one of the first things that 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 men notice is is loss of a morning erection because um testosterone's on a 24 hour cycle as opposed to us us being on on a 28 so one night's bad sleep it, it it's in hand in hand with your circadian rhythm which is where your kind of body between 10 o'clock onwards your cortisol levels reset um your testosterone levels reset so you're supposed to wake up in the morning with everything in the tank ready to go um, and when those kind of morning erections that have been your friend for 25 plus years aren't there anymore, it can be devastating, mm. absolutely devastating. And so often it's not, it's not, um, erectile dysfunction often isn't a result of low T, but the loss of erections and loss of libido are, which leads in turn to pressure, which leads in turn to everything building up so you get the erectile dysfunction you know and round and round you go and then most men would just rather go online and get viagra and then they're not dealing with the problem they're putting a kind of you know a, 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 a patch on it but they're not fundamentally dealing with what's going on yeah and, and none and, of the emotional stuff is being dealt with no yeah no and 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 you know culturally testosterone is mentioned at puberty and then just seems to disappear, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the brave, brave move to bringing this conversation into the public arena and really using all of your PR skills to get it some airtime because it's definitely been a huge lesson to me. I will be talking to everybody about it. We will be linking all of your details in the show notes. So please go ahead and follow Bertie. She's got a really excellent Instagram account 
And if you have got someone in your male community who you think may be suffering from the signs of andropause, then, you know, open a conversation with them. There is lots of help to be had. Um, we're going to close with three quick fire questions. Okay. What is your fondest memory from the 80s? Shoulder pads, Miami Vice. Like, I'm still fond of a shoulder pad, if I'm going to be honest. And my children were horrified to find out what a crimper was. Did you crimp yes. your hair? God, I'm surprised I have any hair left. I mean, those, I know, right? Perming, those... perming, crimping, you know. Yes. No, but we didn't have instant. Nobody cared. No. We did. My sister ironed my hair with an iron. We took a lot more risk back then, didn't we? Yes. We, we had a lot more freedom. Yeah, you know? I would I, agree. I'm so glad. So glad for the 80s. What has been the biggest difference for you between turning 30 and turning 40? Well, the fact I got divorced on my, like literally in my 40th year, Independence Day, it was a perfect storm, <laughs> came through on Independence Day. So every year I'm like, whoop, whoop. Um, it was, I love, I have to say, I've loved my 40s. I think I feel a lot more happier in, in my own skin. It is a lot different, um, particularly as I lost a parent. You know, I think you kind of change within the within the forties. I think it's a real time of change, but I also think it's a it's a time to embrace it. And I think I make much better decisions. Uh, you know, I know who my friends are. I know who I am. I just feel that it was just an amazing amazing transition. Thirties were still good. had had a great time, but. You know, I didn't have a purpose, I don't think, then. And and yes. now I feel like I, I do, whether that's a mother or with work, I feel a lot more driven. I really relate to that, not having a purpose. Yeah. Um, mm. And the final question, your greatest life lesson to date? I think I said it earlier, and I swear, and I tell my girls this all the time, trust your instincts. They will never let you down. I've got so much more in tune well, maybe it's not in tune. Maybe I just listen more mm. to myself. If it does not feel right to me, then I, I won't. I won't do it. But if my gut, even when I'm up against something, if other people are telling me not to do it, and my gut is telling me to do it, I literally I trust myself to make better decisions. I would agree with that. I I think because I have not trusted my gut in the past, or because I've ignored my intuition in the past, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I think the the very art of learning how to trust your gut is to get it wrong <laughs> in your twenties and thirties. By the time you get to your forties, you're like, okay, I'm going to start listening to this internal guidance system I've been blessed with. Completely, and and that is also confidence in your own skin, isn't it? You you grow up with listening to uh, taking advice from everybody around you, and it can be quite crippling. Mm. You know, if, if you and like you say, you can only learn by your mistakes. But if you feel strongly about something, I think stick stick to your guns, whether other people tell you it's right or wrong. How awesome is Bertie? Bertie, just want to say you are amazing. Such a beautiful human. I so enjoyed speaking to her. You yeah. know, like the moment you start a conversation with someone, you're like, oh my God, you and I, not only are we the same cloth, but we're the same bit of the cloth. Yeah. She was just brilliant. And she said a line, and I'll misquote it, apologies, when she was talking about leaving her first husband and she said you think you can change someone oh. but then you realize that you're just changing yourself and I was like oh my god I want that tattooed on my body yes that 
if I, I mean, everything about that interview was amazing. But that, as soon as she said it, this huge light bulb just went bing. Mm. And I thought, that is what I've done in relationship, in relationship, in relationship. It's mm. just changed myself. But anyway, that's another topic. Really interesting. 19. That's why they're so smoky at 19. Not that I'm a Cugo. Yeah. <laughs> You don't have to lock up your children. <laughs> I'm coming to get 19-year-olds on the beach. But yeah, 19. Yeah, it's early, isn't it? But isn't that weird? Because obviously women's prime is like in the 30s. No, it's not. It's 27. Oh, I thought it was like... Oh, I mean, 30s. I said that with a confidence I don't have. But it's not in the 30s. It's mm. the, No, it's I've 20. just watched that movie, Prime. Again. I just, you've got to stop talking to me about movies and Netflix. <laughs> I've got no idea what you're talking about. Literally, unless it's Friends or 30 Rock, I am, well, maybe a bit of Seinfeld, then I'm, I'm that's it. I've any of them, apart from Friends. But yeah, so men... Peak men earlier. Teen. Yeah, peak earlier. Mm. But also, like, again, we put our social conditioning on those ages. Like, our body, uh, the functional bit of our body isn't used to living in this particular society. It doesn't care about age. It doesn't care about any, like our reproductive organs do not care about the society in which we live in. And they are way before any of the stuff that we have built. They are primal. And so it's irrelevant. Age is an irrelevant thing. That's such a societal context, I think. Yeah, what I took from that interview as well, and I really hope this gets a good broadcast just so women can tell their husbands and their friends about this, that men going to a doctor's in their 40 and just being told they're depressed. Yeah, how bad? That needs to stop. Yeah. I mean, that happened to me when I was younger, something completely different, but I was grieving and the doctor gave me a prescription and said Mm. I was depressed. And I said, I'm not taking this. And at the time, spoke to someone else and they just said, you're not, you're grieving. Mm. And it's like, we need to stop this oh, there's something wrong with me, not quite sure, so you must be depressed. Let's yeah. look at things more. And yeah, what are you eating? Just, How often are you meditating? How much exercise are you getting? And look, don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-medication. No, no, no. No. And I know it really helps a lot of people, and a lot of people say they would not have been able to climb out without it, and I'm all for that. But I had the, uh, not a similar experience, but when I was um, in my 20s, my sister was living in Japan, and they had to pay for contraception in Japan. Mm. And so I just went to the doctor uh, with the name of the pill that she was on and got the prescription for her for free and sent it over. Mm. Then I went on the pill a few months after that. And because I'd already said to my doctor, I want to go on this pill and I hadn't been taking it, I've been sending it to my sister. I was like, oh, I, I, you know, I want some more of that pill that I've been taking, doctor. I promise you, I haven't been sending it to my sister in a different country. And so I just had to go on that same pill. And it sent me loopy. That shit crazy. Absolutely yeah. loopy. I would, I'd, like, couldn't get out of bed crying, weeping, time off work, just really, really did not sit well with me. And so I went back to the doctor and said, I need to change the pill. And he said, well, you've been on it you know, for 
six months or whatever and I'd only been on it a couple of months and I was like yeah but you know it's it's not sitting well with me and I, and I know myself and it's making me really and he was like tell me about the symptoms that it's sort of provoking in you so I was telling him about and they do they sound like depressive symptoms mm. I can't get out of bed in the morning I'm weeping all the time I get very angry and quite irritable I get it like I understand that that sounds like mm. an issue but I knew it was the pill I knew it was this pill and anyway, so he said, "Oh no, I'll, I'll just, I'll just uh, prescribe you a short round of uh, some antidepressants, and that should sort it out." And that was his. And, and here is me saying it's the pill. And yeah. anyway, so then I went to a different doctor, and it was a woman, and I felt a bit more comfortable confessing that I'd actually been <laughs> smuggling them out to my sister. But you know, that was the solution in that case, and it came so easily, and it came so quickly, and I was so shocked. And I remember yeah. speaking to my dad. I called my mum, but my mum was out, so I found myself speaking to my dad, and I was so upset by the conversation that I'd had with the doctor that I ended up telling my dad everything. Because, you know, Dad and I don't really talk about my menstrual cycles as a general rule. And, yeah, I remember him saying, oh, just just throw that prescription away. Yeah. Like, just don't take it. Mm. Because at the time I felt so vulnerable. Yeah. And you know what it's like when your hormones take over. And you don't know who you are. And so it's very disassociating to be in that hormonal flux isn't yeah. it you, you oh. like you turn into a completely different person you don't recognize yourself i took the pill last year for a short time and it sent me yeah yeah like i i nearly went and sectioned myself yeah, because, yeah but <laughs> take me out of society yeah and i'm not even joking when i say that just jumping kind of back to the testosterone and everything guys just it must be a very lonely place for them. And I think with women as well, because we are number one women and we do tend to speak about our emotions more as a general rule. And because we have this visual, visual, obvious, tangible, real thing that happens to us every single month. And those changes are so acute in the body and the mind. Mm that I think when we don't have balance in our emotional space, it's much easier for us to, to understand that. Mm. Whereas like, imagine that you've sort of lived your whole life in your 40s, not having any real hormonal fluctuation, and then suddenly, bam, it comes, and you don't know what that is. And it's not a conversation that you're having with your mates in the pub. It's yeah. not a conversation that you're having with your mates at work. It's not a conversation that's being had on the footy field. No. Like, where do you go to have that conversation? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I know there's some really good mental health groups out there for guys now. Um, I know that Ryan's quite involved in one. Mm. Our mate, Ryan. You're, yeah. not, you're not meant to know who Ryan is. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> He's everyone, a mate. Everyone should know Ryan. Well, everyone should know Ryan. It's true. So, yeah, just more groups like that really and just yeah more men sheds and yeah more men yeah did bertie say that mm. her husband does a men shed so yeah men man shed man shed yeah yeah sorry shed. sorry <laughs> my bad i think i'd quite like a man shed or a yeah. shed full of men my uncle used to have a little man man shed mm. he used to go and smoke his pipe in there oh yeah good old yorkshire good old yorkshire have a pipe and a cup of tea a cup of tea but I think it's great what Bertie and her husband are doing and I just absolutely love her story. Yeah, me too. Should we fly to England and make her come and live with us and be our friend? Well, I think when we next go to England, we definitely should meet up with her. Yeah, I yeah. mean, will we take an inflatable penis? 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> maybe we could do, maybe when we're millionaires, we could make an aeroplane out of a penis. Maybe we'll resurrect Concorde and paint it like a big, massive knob. <laughs> Fly it to Bertie in England. Right, we're going. This is it. This episode is over. We're done. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Unashamedly 40, a special short series briefly interrupting my Unashamedly Human podcast. If you've loved this episode, please share it with your mates, rate and review, and head to the show notes to get in touch. Thanks for listening. <laughs>